Well, welcome back to another episode of Sea Student Theology, where we try to make Christianity accessible to the average person. I hope you enjoyed our last episode where I interviewed Pastor Deontay Walters, who's a Reformed Presbyterian minister out in California. And part of the series that we're going to be doing is going through these interviews with people of differing views on many theological topics to help us kind of get introduced to the greater umbrella that is Christianity. So we do have a, a Pentecostal pastor that's going to be on the show later, and we have a Baptist pastor that I'm going to be interviewing to give his perspective perspective on that. And so I'm looking forward to those conversations, and I hope you are enjoying them also. Today, I did want to take a second to talk about how to study your Bible, not necessarily do a Bible study, but how to study your Bible. And part of this is if we're going to be exploring these alternate views on secondhand issues uh, theologically, then we should have a few tools in our tool bag to help us sort through the more difficult passages of Scripture. And so what I'd like to do is just offer a few little tips that I think will be helpful as you pursue biblical faithfulness in your theological journey as a student of Scripture. So moving forward, we're going to be talking about how to study your Bible. And really, it's more it's about more than what a verse means to you. So one big mistake that we can make is we open up our Bibles, maybe we just stick our finger somewhere and we read one verse and we say, what does this mean to me? And then we decide that's what that verse means. This is actually a really flawed way of interpreting scripture for a number of reasons. And so what we want to do is something called hermeneutics. We want to uh, find a method of interpretation. Some even call it an art of interpretation, hermeneutics. This is going to be a set of rules or guidelines that help us to properly interpret Scripture. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Why is a method of interpretation necessary? That's a great question. Why do we have to follow some rules? Can't the Holy Spirit just speak to us? Well, yes, but we also believe from Scripture that God is a God of order and that he had intended meanings for the things that he said and the people that he said them to. And it's our job to first understand those before we can start applying and interpreting Scripture to our lives. So what we want to do is avoid something called eisegesis. Eisegesis. This is when we implant the text or the Scripture with a foreign meaning. This means that we take what we want Scripture to mean, and we make it mean that by twisting words or taking it out of context. Now, this is something that can go terribly wrong. Ecclesiastes 10.2 in the English Standard Version uh, basically says that a smart person stays to the right while a foolish person goes to the left. And I've actually seen that used on political campaign ads before. And the, the point is that they would have you believe that the Old Testament, that Ecclesiastes is arguing for the Republican Party. And I'm not making a political statement here one way or another. My point is that that cannot possibly be what Ecclesiastes is talking about. And so then it becomes our duty to discover what is the Bible talking about when it says something. And there's a few ways in which we go about doing that. And so what we want to do is we, do, we want to avoid eisegesis but we want to achieve exegesis, which means to draw out the intended meaning of the text, to draw it out from the text, not to implant the text with a foreign meaning. Now, if you were to go to Romans 5.1 and James 2.24, there would be this apparent disagreement between two of the apostolic writers of the New Testament, uh, James and Paul. 
that they would have a disagreement apparently if you just take those two verses on how we are justified. Are we truly justified by faith alone or not? So this is another reason that we need to be able to draw out the intended meaning of each text. Now, if we are going to look at some interpretive rules, there's basically three that I would give you right off the bat. The first is that context is king. These questions are going to be like this. Who was writing and who was their intended audience? Is the author writing to Jews or to Gentiles? When was the passage written? What historical events had or had not taken place already? When in redemptive history is it being written? Where, where, where was the author writing from? And where were his recipients located geographically? These are all questions that you need to start asking before interpreting and long before applying a passage of scripture. And so a good example, if you wanted to run through those questions, a good test run would be 1 Peter, starting in verse 1 uh, to verse 3. And it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so what I would say is go to 1 Peter 1 through 3, or maybe it's 1 through 2 now that I'm noticing this. Go there and start reading. And as you read, what is the data that you can draw out? What kind of uh, things can you just observe in the text? Where is um, this taking place? Who is writing? To whom is he writing? And we're not trying to draw theological conclusions yet. We're simply just trying to get to the data, the context of the passage. Now, the second interpretive rule that I think would be extremely helpful is that Scripture interprets Scripture. This means that we consult clearer verses written in the same book that we're studying. So if we find a passage of Scripture that's very difficult to understand, the first place we should not turn is a commentary or our favorite podcaster. Uh, the first place that we should turn are the cross-references in our Bible. Usually they're at the bottom of the Bible, uh, bottom of the page in your Bible, or maybe in the center column uh, in your Bible, or maybe you have a good study Bible that has an abundance of these. But you want to find the cross-references, which means it will take you to other passages of Scripture that may speak more clearly to this same topic, but seems difficult in the passage you originally found. And so what we want to do is first start with other passages in the same book. So if we're reading Romans, for example, and we find a passage that's difficult, well, maybe there's another text in Romans where Paul is also speaking um, that would help clarify the position. Or we can consult other biblical writings by the same author. So for example, Paul wrote Romans, but he also wrote First and Second Corinthians. And so maybe we need to turn there for a little bit of clarity. And then if still we can't find what we're looking for, if it's still hazy, then we can open up our investigation to parallel passages written by other scripture writers. So, uh, for example, the Old Testament is going to be interpreted by the New Testament. And within the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are going to be interpreted by uh, the Acts and also the letters, the epistles, later on in the New Testament. So third, as far as interpretive rules go, I would leave you with this. We need to be able to decipher what is prescriptive versus descriptive. Prescriptive means that the Bible records it and then says this is what Christians should do. 
Descriptive means that the Bible is simply describing a historical event that took place, and it is not necessarily endorsing it or saying that Christians should also partake in it. And so an example that I would turn to is 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbath. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was talking on the roof of the king's house, walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and that woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now, uh, if we just read this, and we say that everything in the Bible uh, does the Bible endorse, and everything in the Bible is something that Christians should do, then that would mean that the Bible endorses David's lust, David's taking advantage of women, David's uh, we, we, if we kept reading, we would see that David actually murders Bathsheba's husband in order to cover up his adultery. Um, horrible, horrible things happen. And we know from the rest of Scripture, the greater context of the Bible, that none of these things are endorsed by Scripture. In fact, David pays dearly for his sins. The, the Lord comes down very hard, disciplines David, um, and, and takes things from him because of this sin. But what you will hear from critics of the Bible is they will find these passages where horrible things are recorded, and they'll say, see, it's in the Bible, your Bible teaches that this is okay. And so as good students of the Bible, we need to be able to understand that just because something is recorded in the Bible does not mean that it's prescribed for Christians to do. And we decipher, again, those things by um, context within scripture. And I guess one more thing I'll throw out there is that you can have one meaning but many applications. There is only ever one meaning to a verse or to a passage of scripture. But once we've done our hermeneutical work, right, our method of interpretation or the art of interpretation, then we can begin to apply it to a lot of different areas of life. So for example, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. There's only one meaning here, is that God is well-pleased with those who step into the chaos and the sin of the world and bring the Lord's peace through the gospel to those situations. Now, the way that we can apply that is, is uh, there, well, there's many different ways that we could apply that. So maybe it's within the family. Maybe there's uh, siblings that are fighting, and we can bring God's peace through the gospel to that situation. Maybe it's uh, political tensions in our greater culture and country. Maybe it's um, maybe it's something going on at school that uh, if you're a teenager, you're dealing with some drama and some bullying or situations like that. Maybe there's a way that the gospel can uh, bring peace uh, to that situation. And so we have one meaning. The scriptures only ever mean one thing. We believe this because we have, a, we have a doctrine of scripture that says that the scriptures are inspired by God, that they were breathed out by God, that he intentionally left them for us, that he preserved them, that he recorded them. This is not just man's best attempt at recording what God said. This is actually God-inspired words, 
and they are not chaotic and they have been left for a purpose. And so for those reasons, we can be confident that we are able to study them and that they do make sense and that there is a method that should be followed for proper interpretation. And so I will leave you with that for now. I would con I would just encourage you to take your Bible reading seriously, to make sure that, uh, that you're being faithful with your interpretations, that you're being faithful with your study. And as always, I want you to keep on studying.